Welcome to Renewed by the Word with Pastor Edwin from Redeemer Church, Miami. We are glad you can join us today. Please grab your Bibles as we walk through the Word of God together this morning. Church, good morning and Happy New Year. It is good to see you all here today. Let me try that again. Happy New Year, church. Okay, good, good. I know we've been on vacation. I know we've been out for a while and stuff, but it's 2023. God has given you a brand new start, a brand new opportunity, so let's be excited and let's be uh, kind of fired up, if we could use that word, about it. Um, last week we were in here. Uh, we did communion. Obviously a lot of folks were out of town, but it was just an amazing way to start the new year at the Lord's table. Uh, and I know some of you were out of town and you're joining us here today, uh, but be excited and be joyful about a brand new start that God has given you. And we're going to be talking about a new start uh, today. Matthew chapter 3, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me, if you want to hold one in your hands, the blue ones in front of you are the ones in English. For those of you who are at home, thank you for joining us this morning. And you'll see it behind me here in the screens in the church and also on your screens at home. If I could ask you to stand with me, please, as we always do in our church, as a show respect to God's Word. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we'll read the first 12 verses. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Let's pray together, church. Lord, thank you that we get to stand today at the threshold of a brand new year. New opportunities, new goals, new steps to take. I pray that the goals would be your goals. That the steps would be your steps for us. And that everything that is done would be for your glory. That the name of Jesus would be seen through us and in us in 2023. We pray that this would be a different kind of year. That we wouldn't just say it but that it would truly be a year of change and of transformation and of renewal, that our lives would impact others. So, Father, I pray that this morning, this first full-on message of 2023 would be your words to us, not mine. Erase my voice. Let us hear yours. Please erase my ideas. Let them be yours. Let us hear your truth today. Fill this simple place with your Holy Spirit and may he rain down fire on all of us that we would walk away knowing that we have been in the presence of God Most High. So Father, here we are. 
May Jesus be glorified. May the Spirit move. May your voice be heard. We pray this in the very precious and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, just a side note before we begin today, I trust that all of you uh, heard about or at least saw this football player who collapses on the field. Uh, his heart is thrown out of rhythm, which is wild, having played football for many years and in college as well, for that to happen. Um, and we thank God that he's healing, but it's been very interesting, uh, especially in yesterday's games, and maybe you watched them, maybe you didn't, how players from both sides gathered in the center of the field and prayed together. And just a thought, just an observation for you on that. Um, there are elements within our country who don't like God, who don't want to believe in him, who hate Jesus Christ, who hate what we do every Sunday. Uh, but it's a reminder that, and, and my opinion, we could probably go back and forth a little bit, I think you might agree, the second most powerful instrument in our society outside of our government is the NFL. Think about how many people it brings together on a given Sunday. Millions, and now millions have seen black and white men and women kneel down in the middle, in the center, in the spotlight of a football field and pray. And so it's interesting how God, no matter how hard you try to remove him from the center, he always finds his way back. And it reminds us that when we bend a knee to him, people can come together. So in your conversations with folks, and maybe somebody brings it up, that is something for you to share. That is something for you to have, so to speak, for conversation. To say, wow, look at all these players, and whether people believed or not, you know, whether they had their doubts or not, everybody bent a knee. And it's basically a taste of what Philippians chapter 2 says. The Apostle Paul says that after Jesus is glorified, every knee, the ones that believe and don't believe, will bow down before Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord, whether they like it or not. And you're getting just a glimpse, you're getting a taste of what that looks like. Because a lot of the people that I saw kneeling down yesterday before a football game are not believers. They don't really, maybe some of them don't even know Christ. You have photographers, you have all these media people. You don't know what's going on in their hearts, but everyone bends a knee when it's time to pray to the Lord. And that just reminds you that it's in us. The first thing the players did, for those of you who are watching the game, um, and I saw it kind of happen live, the first thing people did was kneel down to pray. So it's a reminder to us that no matter how powerful we think we are and how together we think we have it and where we think we're going in the direction of our nation and lives, <clears throat> when things happen, there's just a reminder of our place. And our place is before the Lord, seeking him out for help and for blessing and for power. And so anyway, that's just something that I just want to share with you since we've all kind of experienced it throughout this week. And maybe you're more into sports or you're not, but nonetheless, it's something that's happening around the country and it's a beautiful time to be able to use that in conversation with those who might be knocking on the door of the kingdom. So why begin with John the Baptist? Well, <clears throat> all the Gospels do. After the Christmas story, you run into John. And it's a wonderful wake-up call because here's what's happened. Let me set the scene for you so you understand uh, today's message and also so you understand a little bit about him and about God also uh, in the process. It's interesting that we're all coming off a of vacation. We're all a little bit lazier. We're not looking forward to tomorrow morning. For those of you who with kids, for those of you who have to get to an office, you are not looking forward to having the big yellow dinosaurs, right, going through all the streets and plugging everything up. 
Uh, but there is something to be said here because for 400 years there had been silence. From the time that Israel reestablishes herself, there's a shoddy temple that's built. <clears throat> the leadership of the time puts together the Old Testament proper as we know it. And then there's silence. And there's silence until you hear the first words of Christmas. Do not be afraid. And there's an angel that shows up to a very scared 12 or 13-year-old young girl. There's an angel that shows up to a young adult man who is now wondering, did she cheat on me or not? There are angels that show up to shepherds, and they show up with this incredible uh, story of, like, the sky being filled with glory and with angels and how they saw it, and they were invited to see the, the king. And then there are these magi who come a couple of months later, about a year later, they show up at the door, they're knocking. Where's the king? And all of a sudden, it goes quiet again. There, there's, there's, there's nothing. And there were those in Israel, and history records it at the time, there are those in Israel that wondered if God would really speak again. They hadn't heard his voice, and they wondered if they would ever hear it again. And so from do not be afraid, now that's the beginning of Christmas. The very, the very first words of ministry are repent. Repent. For those of you who have not run into this word or maybe are not sure about it, Repent is to turn your back on. It's not to say I'm sorry. It's not to feel bad. It's to literally turn your back on something and walk away from it. So when God says on one hand, do not be afraid, words of Christmas, 400 years of silence, here I am, I am at work. And then there's silence again for about 30 something more years. The gossip and the talk of angels had kind of died away. All of a sudden now you hear your very first word, repent. Our society doesn't like that word. That's why churches don't use it, right? So repent flies in the face. And I just jotted down a couple of phrases, which I grew up, for those of you who were uh, children of the 80s, you know, just be yourself, right? Just be yourself in contrast to repent, to turn away. For those of you who are children of the 90s, don't apologize for who you are, right? That, that, that was the phrase of the 90s. And now the newest phrase, the, and I, nonsense really, the newest phrase that's out there is, live your truth. What on earth does that mean? <laughs> I mean, what are we talking about? Anyway, but in different shapes and sizes, different wording, same message. I will not repent, right? I, I am going to stick to who I am. I'm going to stick to my guns because I'm going to be myself and I'm going to have my truth. And, and, and here's a scripture that God's very first words now for ministry are repent, Turn your back on what you were doing. And the reason that we don't like this word is because it forces us to look in the mirror. It forces us to self-examine. It forces us to take stock in who we really are. Not the person that we present to people. All right, obviously there's, Facebook is fake. We know that already. But in your offices, in your families, you know, who you present versus who you really are when no one is looking. Right? There's, there's, there's two of us, hopefully not five or six of us, and that's dangerous. And there are people who are five or six different people, but nonetheless, for our argument's sake, we'll just say, be careful with the duality. And repentance doesn't let you do that. It makes you accountable. It forces you to look in the mirror and say, man, who am I really? And who am I really before the Lord? Because the Lord knows and the, and the Lord sees. So then what you're realizing is that right off the bat, God is saying, the only way to approach me is to repent. But here's the thing. There's two parts of it, right? You repent for salvation and renewal. You repent for your sin and for yourself. So let's unpack that for a second. 
Because I just said a mouthful. The easy one is this. I repent for salvation from my sin. We all know that one, right? There, there comes that moment when God grabs you, the Holy Spirit convicts you, and your eyes are open, and you're like, oh my goodness, I am a mess. And, I, and not only that I'm a mess, and I'm just kind of disorganized or emotional, but no, 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 I am a sinful mess before the Lord, and he rejects this. I am, as the song says, right, famous rock band, on the highway to hell. That's, that's where I'm going. That's what I'm on my way to. But then, so we get that one, right? That's easy. But then the second part of what I said is the one that we don't like too much because repentance begins the process of salvation and renewal. You repent for your sin and for yourself. In other words, you don't only turn your back on sin, oh, these things I was doing wrong, these things I don't honor the Lord, but you got to turn your back on who you are because the person that you were before you met Jesus Christ what you stood for, what you believed, the direction that you were going before Jesus Christ. And, and again, this message, John the Baptist, God on purpose, this is like a rocket taking off. So hang on to your pew because this only gets faster and stronger as we go along. And there's a reason why John all of a sudden breaks the silence of God speaking to people. It says repent because who you were before Jesus was on its way to hell. Let's just come out and say it. And there's a lot of people in our society who will maybe hear this message or hear that word and say, oh, that's one of those churches. Oh, he's one of those pastors. Well, yes, I am, because it's biblical. And we're one of those churches because it's biblical. And we're not going to ignore the word. It's there. And, and now you understand why there is so little power in the church in the United States of America. There is so little power because we do the Jesus part well. Oh, come to Jesus, accept Jesus so that you can be saved and have a place in heaven. Okay, that's all well and good. But Jesus didn't come to just die to, to kind of reserve you a seat, right, in heaven. So that you could show up with your ticket and say, oh, yeah, what's my seat? 6A. Okay, let me walk over to that. That's no. He is trying to save you from yourself now. Because the saving begins in the here and now. The new you begins here. You begin to live by heaven's value, by kingdom values now, and then one day you will experience them in their totality. This is kind of like a warm-up. This is like the warm-up lap before the race begins for real. And that's why John's first words, God's first words through him are, repent, because who you are doesn't fit into heaven, and who you are doesn't fit into the heaven on here, the kingdom here. John says the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom has come. And, and guess what? Where there is a kingdom, there is a king. And that's the other part of, of the problem here. Who you are. Think about this for a second, church. Think about this for a second. What if, what if I stood here for a second and I said, you know, we have a special guest this morning. I want to introduce him to you. Galilean Carpenter, you know. You might have heard of him, you know. Jesus. He's going to speak to us this morning. And I sit down. Can, can you imagine Jesus Christ standing right here where I am and looking you in the eye? Just don't answer. Just think about what I'm saying for two seconds. Imagine that he is standing here because remember, God is spirit. In the kingdom, in the new Jerusalem, you will never be able to reach out and grab onto God. The, the, our creeds and our, and our scripture tells us he is this massive kind of glory, presence, spirit, cloud. You can't, there's no words for it. He's just there. But there is someone who has a body. And his name is Jesus. And it's a glorified body now. 
And in the New Jerusalem, coming out of that cloud-like glory cloud of God, there's going to come a figure out of that to come and say hi. And it's Jesus. And so all of a sudden, you got to ask yourself the question, when I bump into this guy, when I see him, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, and your eyes are open to see your sin and to see him, what, what do you do? Well, there's two examples in Scripture. Let me show them to you. One from the old and one from the new. Because many of you are thinking, as the modern church has tried to teach us, and I don't teach that here, when you say, Jesus, oh, my hands are going to go up in the air, and it's, it's going to be glory, and there's going to be a really cool worship song, my favorite one, playing in the background as I come before him. Let's see what Scripture says. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah gets a vision of the throne room. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. That's creepy. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. Scary. And the temple was filled with smoke. Look at what Isaiah does. Does he put his hands up in the air? Does he worship? Does he start bouncing up and down? I love this worship song. No, look what he does. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In other words, I shouldn't be seeing glory. I don't deserve it. But wait, let's look at the New Testament example. I take you to Revelation chapter 1. John, who was the baby of the bunch, is now the last disciple left. It's the year 9091, give or take. He is in a dungeon. He's in a jail on the island of Patmos. And there he's writing the final book of the New Testament, Revelations. He's having himself a normal day. He had breakfast. Whatever they served him, they slid it under the, the prison bars. And now he's sitting there and he has a vision, and he looks over his shoulder to see this. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud, a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. He's, he's seeing a, a bit of heaven. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. This is Jesus. This is not some cute little carpenter. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Are you sure you want to hug him? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So every time someone in Scripture 
encounters God and Christ. There's not a celebration, and it's like, oh, I love this song that they play in church. Let me throw my hands up. Let me roll down the aisles. I love what pastor said today. Oh, I was so, what an experience, church. No. Oh, they were playing my favorite, you know, song in the throne room. Because God loves me so much, he plays my music. No. You fall down on your face as if you were dead because you want to hide. That's what happens when you come face to face with glory. That's why the first word is repent. Because when you see who you really are, are you really going to stand in front of Jesus? Are you going to stand there and say, well, you know, I, I didn't go to church today. I was a little tired. Is that what you're going to say? Oh, the kids didn't want to get up this morning. Is that what you're going to say? Oh, I, I felt a little sick. You know, we, we had paella last night at the birthday party. It didn't go down too well. Is that what you're going to say to him? Oh, you know, the, the kids had a little bit of a sniffle. I didn't want anybody to catch it. Is that what you're going to say? I, I had a hard week. I worked so hard. You know, oh, I'm afraid of catching something. Is that what you're going to say? With this guy, this guy that I just read to you, blazing eyes, burning feet, hair white like wool. This is something out of a movie. Are you going to sit there in front of him and give him your excuses? Oh, I've been through so much. Lord, I just needed time to rest and recover. Is that what you're going to say to Jesus? Is that what you're going to say? Oh, I was just a little tired from work. Oh, I had, stuff. I had an errand to run this morning. Oh, the kids had soccer practice. There was ballet. Is that what you're going to say to Jesus? And that's why John's first words are repent. Turn from your sin and from yourself. Because your pride and your ego and your excuses and all your little problems and all your little issues and hiding behind the kids, all the excuses, right? When you have kids, it's always the excuse. Oh, you know how they are. You know, kids are always sick. You know, you know, teenagers, right? Are you really going to keep hiding behind them when this person that shakes the thresholds has these bizarro things flying around him who comes out from seven golden lampstands from a foggy place? His eyes are on fire. His feet are glowing. He is what? Is that really? Are you going to have that conversation with him? Well, you know, uh, uh, you know, Jesus, I just, you know, I didn't like that sermon series Pastor Ezra was preaching, so I just watched it online. You know, I just, is, that what, is that what you're going to say? Because he's going to look back at you and he's going to say, why were you not together with my family? Why were you not in my house? Because I watch over you Monday to Saturday and I ask you for an hour of your time. That's what he's going to say. And I ask you for an hour of your time for Bible study. I ask you for an hour of your time for youth group. I ask you an hour of time for the Zoom studies. I ask what I'm asking of you. Are you really going to stand there before this person? Is it, listen. I think I was in middle school about ninth grade. I don't remember. My parents were youth leaders. And I think Miriam is here. She might have gone. Um, Alex, who's going to be with us next week, probably went as well. My parents planned this random, they were like that, last-minute trip to Atlanta, Georgia. They wanted to take the youth group up there. Crazy idea, but we went up there anyway. But one of the things that they wanted the youth group to see over a weekend was the Shroud of Turin. Maybe you've heard of it. Shroud of Turin. Old shroud that's been found. They thought it was Jesus because of the markings, right? The markings here, the marking on the side. But then they figured out that the dating doesn't, doesn't match up. But nonetheless, so 
I'm a, I must have been an eighth or ninth grader. I don't remember exactly. I just remember that one of the things on the trip was that we went to the museum to see the Shroud of Turin. It was touring the United States, and it was there. So growing up in church, right, you go from the little kids' Sunday school, like our kids are next door, and you, you, you read the Bible, and you, you hear the stories, and you see the pictures of it, and, and I, I was a fan of the flannel board. I still, I still like to use it, but now I use videos with the kids. And, you know, so you, so you see this person, right, and they tell you so much about him, and, and you're like, oh, I love Jesus, you know, and I want to be with him, and, and I can't wait to heaven. And then finally, you know, the, 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 the line goes snaking through the exhibit, and finally you get your chance to come face to face with the shroud. There is only one person on planet Earth that I am afraid of, my dentist, the only one. And it's not even the dentist, it's the assistant, wonderful lady. She's awesome, tells me about her kids all the time, I tell her about the girls, and then she does it, because that buzzing noise in your head and the pain, it just, it's awful, it's awful. So there is only one person on the entire planet that I am afraid of, and it's my dentist. But when the line finally arrived in front of the shroud, and as a young person, ninth grade, 10th grade, whatever it was, eighth grade, I am, I thought, right, seeing, because you see the eyes, you see the marking of the eyes, you see the marking of the cheekbones. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of it. If not, Google it so you can see it. You see the marking of the cheekbones in the sweat and the blood on the, on the, on the thing. And then you kind of see the body. And for just one second, I thought to myself, this is him. He's not a page on a book anymore. He's not some kind of drawing for little kids. He's not some youth group story that they told me about. He is not the little flannel Jesus on the flannel board. He's not, you know, the, the famous, the Renaissance Jesus, you know. He's not that guy either, which is not Jesus at all. He's not the Renaissance Jesus. And all of a sudden, I'm standing there, and I'm like, this is him. And can I tell you that... I'm, I'm 50 years old now, 51 years old now. I can honestly tell you that in my life, I have never felt terror before. I don't know if you have or not. Uh, been in a couple of car accidents, no big deal, you know, your heart beats a little, whatever. Uh, never, I have never felt terror before. Not in 9-11, when that happened, not during different moments, whatever. I can honestly tell you that I felt terror that day. There was not one part of me that wanted to hug this man because all of a sudden I said to myself, he knows everything about me. He knows everything. He knows my thoughts. He knows my tongue. He knows my heart. He knows my life. And I can tell you as if it was yesterday that my heart was beating so hard that I'm ninth grader. I weigh like 120 pounds of skinny, scrawny, bony little Hispanic kids standing in front of this thing, and my, you know, the heartbeat, like my body was, like, every beat, and I'm like, can we just get on the bus and go back to Miami? Can we just leave now? I had had enough of Atlanta, Georgia, and enough of the shroud. It was terror, terror, what I felt when I had this experience, right? You're thinking, this might, this might be it. So there's a reason why the first words out of John's mouth are repent. Turn your back on your sin, that's easy. Turn your back on yourself, 
that's harder. And why don't we want to turn back our back on ourselves? Because we'll lose control. You control your life. As nice as you try to be and as fair as you try to be in your family, your kids, and your job, you control your life. And you're not giving that control to anyone. And then the cost, right? I have worked so hard. I have built myself. All the experiences, what my parents taught me, what grandma taught me, what grandpa, what I've learned, what life, the ups and downs. I, I have so much that has put me together like a puzzle that I can't possibly tear it down now. Controlling cost. That's the reason why we like the first part, salvation from sin, but we don't like the second part, renewal and the death of self. And in order to be able to come before the Lord, you need to understand that you not only have to repent of your sin, but you also have to repent of yourself. And now you understand why the church in the United States of America has so little power and influence because it asks people to say yes to Jesus, right? But then it says, come as you are, stay as you are. And there is no change in a person's life. There's nothing that shakes you down to the core and says, you know what? Maybe I'm not all that good and, cracked, and, and all cracked up to be. Maybe things need to change. And that's what Jesus brings to the table. And that's why our society rejects it so much. That's why the church avoids the conversation. So how? How? Well, John tells you two steps, really. Confess your sin. In 1 John chapter 1, I'm not sure if we have it for you. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. In other words, Lord, clean me up. Clean me up. There is, there is no part of me that can stand before you justified and say, yeah, I belong here. So there's, there's I guess if we just want to break it down to give you a better picture, there's, there's, two, there's two confessions. There is the heart-shattering, life-shattering one, which I hope that we have all had. I'm just going to assume that as a family of faith here together, where the Holy Spirit convicted you, God begins to call you back home, gives you eyes to see, and there's that earth-shattering, life-shattering, heart-shattering, mind-shattering, soul-shattering confession where you're like, Lord, look at me. I cannot, I cannot believe me. I cannot believe that I am this sinful creature and I hadn't seen it before and I thought it was just normal and I thought it was business as usual. But now I'm realizing, I'm looking at myself and I'm like, oh, the darkness and the filth and the sin, the attitude, the words, the thoughts, the attitude of the heart towards others, the hatred, the jealousy, the envy, the pride. Oh, it's disgusting. There's that earth-shattering one, life-altering one, when you truly have the crashing into Christ, and then there's daily. There's daily, Lord, forgive me for X, Y, Z. Lord, please put to death 
this part of my life or this part of my attitude. Lord, please. And you just bring it to him. You bring it to him. And then you stand up again and you walk, as I've always told you, in faith and obedience. Because in Christ, you know that you are forgiven. And that's the beauty of this. And then obviously baptism. Right? They confess their sins, the text tells us. And they were baptized in the Jordan River. Once you have that eyes open, I see my sin, I see what Christ has done, I accept it, I want to walk with you, then you're baptized. It's the outside sign of an inside change. That's, that's what baptism is at its core. But then there's the one missing ingredient. And this goes back to the failure of our churches in, in, our, in our very own country. right? Notice that John makes a distinction himself. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me, and we're going to deal with Christ coming to John next week. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Aha. Fire does several things, as all of us know. Right? It destroys, but it also purifies. It destroys, but it brings new life. So, and I know I've said this many times to you, whenever the Everglades burn, you know, you start on the news, oh, the burning, they're trying to turn it off. And for those of you who have allergies, be careful. But that needs to happen, right? Nature needs to cleanse herself. And once the fire clears, you start to see the new little plants, boom, they come out right away. It brings new life. So that's the part sometimes that we're missing. And we settle. Even John says it. He is, you know, that's the baptism you need. So it's almost like John gets us started. He opens our eyes to our sin. He takes us into the water. But then there's that missing piece. But that's the scary piece. You see, we have traded a brand new life in Christ for just being kind of good, you know, and kind of following Jesus, but hanging on to me. That's John's baptism. It's good, but it's incomplete, right? Repent, see your sin, baptism, begin to be changed. But then there's that other part, the Jesus part, where the Holy Spirit comes down and literally eliminates and burns down the old you so that a new you can be born. We stop there. So we walk through life wondering, where is that power that pastor keeps talking about? Where is that, where's that change? It's a well, very simple. You settle for John's baptism. It's good, right? Salvation there, you know, repentance. And, but, but there's this missing part at the end that only Christ can bring. When you say to yourself, you know what, doors of my heart and life are open, Holy Spirit come in and just rearrange the furniture, throw it out, start me again. Give me a new address for my heart and for my mind. And that's the part that we're missing sometimes. And that's why sometimes we wonder why our lives have so little power and why our churches have so little power. It's because the renewal has to start within. Listen, church, the Apostle Paul one of the main uh, things, one of the common threads in many of his letters to the churches was the new creation, right? Repenting and becoming a new person. Well, think about this for a second. When Paul writes his letter to the Philippians, his letter to the Colossians, his letter to the Ephesians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, those were cities, right? Philippi, Colossae, Ephesus, Thessalonica. Paul in his letters is not writing to the city. He's not writing to the city. He's writing to the church in the city. So when he says, you need to be new creations and your life needs to change, they're not supposed to go to their neighbor and say, well, look what the Apostle Paul says. You know, you get your act together. No. 
He is saying for those of you who are sitting in this little house church hiding from Rome, you get your act together and you cleanse your mind and you cleanse your heart and you start your lives over again and it's the same name but a new person. It's the same address but a new, but a new family. It's the same, but now you're different. And once the renewal begins in the church, then it spreads out to the city. Paul never mentions... You know, oh, because the people in Thessalonica have to change. Oh, the people in Ephesus. No, he's talking to the church. He says, you need to change. You got to be new. And if you're new and if renewal comes from when we confess every day, that's the engine that kind of changes us and begins to drive us and, and lights the fire, right? And then we stand and we walk in faith and obedience. And when you confess before the Lord and you humble yourself, then he lifts you up in power and in obedience and faith. And, and that's the combustion cycle. It kind of kickstarts the engine. And Paul says, you do that, not them, you. And as you change, you will impact them. And they will be a part of your family. Because it's what they're looking for. Think about John the Baptist for just one second. He is, he is telling the, the, when the Pharisees and Sadducees, right, religious leaders, the pastors of the day, let's just use that term so we all get it very, very quickly. He is calling them vipers. He's calling them snakes. Why would anybody come back to that kind of a message? If I called you all a bunch of snakes, you wouldn't come back next Sunday. I'm not saying that. Okay, so come back next Sunday. Okay, I'm not calling you. But that's what he is saying. But guess what? The people kept coming. Because you know what? There, and there is a part of us that longs for God's truth. It wants it. It hungers for it. And, 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 and knows and knows that it's a rough road, that it's going to be a collision of me and him, of values and his values, of my wants and his wants. We know it, but my goodness, we want it. And that's why it says that the whole countryside came out to John. This guy is yelling and screaming at these people to turn their lives. And you would think, right, oh, no, I don't like what Pastor said this Sunday. I'm not going to go until next month. He'll, I'm going to teach him. They were there every day. They would finish up work, and then they're out there. John, hit me over the heart again, my brother. Hit me again. And that's what he did. Why? Was he being mean to them? No. Was he being hard on them? No. He was showing them what they could be when a life is transformed by the power of the gospel and Christ. He wanted them to see themselves as they should be and stop settling for what they are. And so what I'm saying to you, church, in 2023, as this year begins, don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't just let it be business as usual. Say, you know what, Lord? I've, I've, I've toyed around with you long enough. This year, everything changes. I want you to step into my heart and my life and burn it all down. Start it over again. Because the old me can't stand in your presence. The old me can't find his way into your presence. Why do we need repentance? Because we can't carry the burden of unconfessed sin. We can't. It'll break you. It'll break you. You've got to be able to come before the Lord and say, Lord, here it is. You carry it because I can't. And that's where Christ says, I'll carry it for you. Can't stand before God without repentance. I can't get myself in front of him without repentance. And it's very simple, confess baptism and then say, Holy Spirit, do your work on me. Our second point, we'll, we'll work our way through it quickly and we'll start to close. He's an old school man. A lot of people wonder, so what's the deal with the, the leather and, and why is he eating grasshoppers, for goodness sake? That's gross. 
right? And why is he eating the honey? And why is he dressed this way? Well, it was supposed to be an image of Elijah, right? Elijah, this, the, the greatest of prophets of the Old Testament. And you're saying to yourself, well, but what's the big deal with Elijah? The, let me show you very quickly so you can get a feel of why they came. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 7 to 15. You're going to love this. The king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They, this is soldiers and kings. They replied, he had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. There's, there's the echo. The king said, oh, that was Elijah, the Tishbite. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, man of God, this is what the king says, come down at once. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. You would have figured they would have learned. Okay. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. We're down 100 guys and two commanders. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah, man of God. He begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men, but now have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to be king. That's who they thought they were listening to. And they're just waiting for the fire to come out of the sky. That's who they thought they were listening to and that's who the scripture says someone like this is coming and when you hear the words of John coming at you on the countryside you're like okay that's fire basically from heaven and what I love is that John a couple of things for us to take into 2023 he did not hesitate to call out sin and evil if in your relationships friendships you do not have the ability to say hey you know, is, is everything okay because this just seems a little bit out of character or out of line, then you really don't have a friendship. You really don't have a relationship, at least not a godly one, to have that kind of trust. John did. He didn't hesitate to call out sin and evil. Again, it was positive. John is calling them to repent and change because the king is coming. Be who you should be, who God can make you. Look ahead, he said. Look up. The king is coming. Turn your life around completely and be humble before the Lord. He lived humbly. Talking about a guy who lives out in the wilderness, for goodness sakes, he's eating grasshoppers and, and honey out of trees. And it's a reminder to us, there is a power in self-denial. No, you don't need every single new little gadget that comes out on the market. No, you don't need that next great thing. There is a power in saying, no, I am satisfied with what God has given me. And I will trust him to give me more when it's his time, when it's well and good. John models that for us. And the harsh words and the strong words, people were longing for it. They wanted to hear it. Tough message, but they were ready. An old school message from an old school man for a brand new life. We close. I want you to see verse 8. If you haven't been hanging on to your pew kind of tight, hang on a little tight now. I'm just giving you a heads up. I told you this message, John, like a rocket, it goes up, it goes up. Verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. 
I tell you out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Listen, church, you can't live off of someone else's faith. You can't say, oh, because my grandma went to church or, oh, because, you know, because Pastor Edwin. No. Fruit comes from a life that is changed by the power of the gospel and the power of Christ at work in that life. And I'm just letting you know now that it says here, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you say, I'm a follower of Christ, if you say, I've given my life to Jesus, if you say, I belong to him and he is my king, then there, there has to be something to show for it. You can't just say it to just say it. So John is saying, if you're going to follow, there has to be fruit. People have to be able to see the impact of Christ in your heart. So again, a message from John of self-examination, of saying to yourself, wait a second, where does my life give off fruit? Where can people say that person is different or that person is godly or that person follows Jesus Christ? So I challenge all of you in a loving way because we're a family here. And this applies to me before it applies to you. So in your lives, where is the fruit of your following Jesus? A hard question. But you know what? It's 2023. It's really the first kind of official Sunday of the year. So let's start it off with a bang. Right? Let's just get this thing going right now. Wake up call. Right? Coffee. You know? Here we go. It starts tomorrow. Actually, it, start, it started about 20 minutes ago. What is the fruit that your life is giving off? And this is not like, oh, let me set my alarm for that. You know, it'll remind me. Let me put a reminder in there. I got to do this. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a life that is, as it changes and as it is being changed and being renewed and turned from the old person to the new person because God is calling because the Holy Spirit is at work, because your eyes are open to the beauty and the sacrifice and love of Christ for you, and now there's a new person emerging, right? A life that begins to just kind of overflow and bless others and help others and be patient and be forgiving. Where you weren't patient before, you're patient now. Not because you read it in some book, not because you put a sticker, you know, on your desk, oh, because this person, I could just kill him. No, that, no. No, it's because now you know you've been forgiven and my goodness, they need the forgiveness of Christ too because you've been given and that way I need to give to you as well because all of a sudden you become a servant, not the served. You become a blessing, not the one who has to always be blessed. Fruit. Where is your fruit? It's got to be seen somewhere. Because God cannot change a life from top to bottom and nothing shows. That's impossible. That is absolutely impossible. So I ask you the question again. Where is your fruit? And in 2023, give fruit for the Lord. Fine. Let's get the obvious one out of the way. Serve at the church different activities we do, different campaigns that we do, giving, okay, fine, amen. Yes, but I am more concerned about the fruit from Monday to Saturday. That's the fruit that I'm concerned about. That's the fruit that I would love to see from all of you. That the day that you bring a friend of yours that they sit next to you in church and, you, and they're like, oh, so-and-so brought me, you know, and 
we've worked together for so long or we've been together for so long or I knew them from another job, whatever. But my goodness, you know, they always, they always wanted to pray for me and they always sent me little things and sometimes it was annoying, but I always got a text and I got a verse and, and now I'm here. Fruit. Because as you bless, individuals will want to go out to the wilderness to hear the message. It'll stir the heart in such a way that they'll make their way in order to hear the gospel, to hear these words. One of my favorite pastors, Pastor Hughes, said it best. Think about this for a second. You can't say I'm going to heaven and live like hell. He said it best. There's, there's no better way to say that. You can't say to your friends, to your family, to your kids, to pastor, oh, I'm marching to heaven, here we go. And you're living like hell. Fruit. Fruit. There has to be evidence of a heart change. You can only hide it for so long. You can only hide it for so long. The way you talk reveals your heart. The direction of your life reveals your mind and heart where it's taking you. How you treat others reveals also the condition of your heart. Church, in 2023, maybe you took that step a long time ago and it cooled off, or maybe you've never taken that step before. You've been living off of like John's baptism. Again, a good baptism, you know, a calling, a change, you know, but not new creation. Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, and fire. And maybe today, you've got to go home. Or if you want to come during the week and talk to me personally, that's fine. We'll have the conversation right in here, on our own, in private if you need to. Say, so you know what? I need Holy Spirit and fire in my life. Because I am realizing now, and this happened to me many, many years ago, I am sick of myself. I am tired of my pride and my ego and my excuses. Sick of it already. And I want Jesus to make someone new. Not perfect by any means. But my goodness, under construction on the way to New City. Amen for all of us. So again, 2023, our first Sunday together. Right last Sunday we were mixed. And I say to you, church, if you haven't taken that step, then take it. Take it. Don't be afraid. God will not let you down. Christ will not let you down and let go of that old you and allow him to create a new creation. Jesus didn't die so you could be a little nicer. He didn't die so you could be a little bit more kind. He didn't die so you could be more patient. He didn't die so you'd just be nicer at work. He died so that you would be new. As I've said many times before, God doesn't recycle things. He makes new things. And you have the opportunity in this first step of the year to be brand new. Brand new you, brand new home, brand new parents, impacting kids who will be brand new as well. So church, take that step today. There's nothing worth hanging on to. I, 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 now I share that from personal experience. There's nothing worth hanging on to. Embrace the new and run with it. That you would give glory to Christ and in the process, give off fruit that would impact others for salvation as well. Is that, not lot, is that not what you want for your family and your friends? Do you not want them to know Jesus too? Don't you want them to have a place in the new city? My goodness, then let the fruit of the change in your heart and mind and life overflow. 
that it would impact them, that they would become part of these crowds. Again, these crowds coming out to a wilderness, coming out to a church, right, to a wilderness and saying, okay, hit me with it. Tell me, tell me, show me, show me. My goodness. And Christ will meet not only you here, he will meet them here. So again, first step of 2023. Church, let's walk through this year hand in hand, hand in hand, together. Make whatever sacrifice you have to make so that we can gather here every single Sunday at 1030 to worship Christ and to take yet another step together, hand in hand, supporting and helping one another. Because as we support and help one another, fruit continues to come out. And if we are renewed in here together, we will definitely renew everything around us. And that is the beauty and the promise of John's message. A wake-up call for 2023, but a good one. A good one. Showing us what we can be. Showing us what we can be in Christ. Showing us what we should be. And challenging us to take that step forward. Holy Spirit, rain down fire on me. Create new life where there is darkness. Bring light where there is darkness. Change me into a new man, into a new woman, into a new young adult, into a new teenager. Don't let me be the same anymore. And just in case, church, let me throw this out there as well. If you hadn't taken that step before and you take it, whether it's this afternoon in private or maybe you come in during the week, and you take that step of, Jesus, I'm going to walk with you faithfully for the rest of my days, highs and lows, then we will baptize you right here in front of everyone. We will declare outwardly what has happened in your heart. So please remember that. Have that in the back of your mind that if you say, you know what? New start, new me, me and Jesus, no matter what, and I want to mark it, then mark it with baptism. If your eyes have been opened to your sin and you said yes to Christ, and we will do that here. And that's a celebration. And that's a celebration. 2023, first step in 2023. Make it a powerful one for Christ. Allow him to continue to change your heart or to change it for the first time. And church, in 2023, give fruit in keeping with your repentance, with the change that God is bringing in your heart. Impact others as you are impacted by Christ. Can we say amen to this first step in 2023? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the gift of being able to come back home to you. There are no obstacles. There's nothing in the way. Your doors are open. Arms held out wide. Just waiting for your children to come back home. And I pray, God, whether it's coming home for the first time or maybe it's having our eyes and hearts stirred again to see you clearly again because it's been a while. Either way, God, I pray that this year would be a year of change, that we would kind of put our foot down and say, up to here, this is as far as this goes. And everything on the other side of this is new and different. And I'm going to open my heart and open my mind and open my life every day to the life-changing power of the gospel, to the change that only Jesus can bring. Rain down fire on me, Holy Spirit, and make me new. I pray that would be our prayer in 2023. God, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the gift of forgiveness. Thank you for the gift of redemption. 
and of restoration that we can find only in him. I pray that many would take a first step with him or yet another step deeper into his presence and into his person. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the call. Thank you for the challenge. Give us that Holy Spirit strength and power and courage to step deeper into your will and way for our lives. Make 2023 different because we have opened ourselves up to you in a radical way. Father, may it begin today. May it begin now. We pray this in the very powerful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today on Renewed by the Word. Our desire and hope is that your time in the Word with Pastor Edwin will continue God's renewal in your entire person and life. For more information about Redeemer Church Miami and Pastor Edwin, visit their website, RedeemerChurchMiami.org. That's RedeemerChurchMiami.org. May God bless you richly, and we look forward to being with you next week.